Good man. Well, uh, let's open with prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into uh, Ezekiel this morning, I pray that you would uh, open our ears and our eyes and our minds and our hearts to hear what you want us to hear this morning. Uh, pray that you would help us to see how you use your prophet, uh, even in the midst of uh, destruction and it looks that things might be hopeless, how you even use that in your sovereignty to point us to you, to your rescue, to your salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray it in your name and for his glory. Amen. Well, welcome. Um, this is the, as Roger just said, it is our next installment as we do Journey Through the Bible, which is our Learner's Exchange uh, series where we are looking at, the ver- at various books throughout Scripture. Uh, we looked at Isaiah last week. That was 66 chapters. We've looked at books that have six chapters. This is a 33-chapter, or a thir- excuse me, I think a 34-chapter book in Ezekiel. This is the prophet Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel, he wrote this book about five years after the first attack on Jerusalem from Babylon. So there were two attacks, and we'll hear a little bit about that this morning. And uh, so this is the first attack, and you see where Jerusalem is, and you see where Babylon is. Uh, This first attack, uh, where they... um, Came in. They didn't destroy the city yet, and but they did grab exiles and bring them back to Babylon. I'm sure that the city was destroyed in some lengths, but um, this in this first wave, this first exile, uh, Ezekiel is part of that, and so he's brought back to uh, Babylon, and it is it takes place the the. The prophet or the, the writing takes place around his 30th birthday, and he's sitting by a canal in Babylon, and God gives him a vision. Uh, this is also the year that Ezekiel should have been ordained a priest, but because of the attack on Babylon or Jerusalem from Babylon, he is not that. So Ezekiel, the city was spared, but the, the king took as we said, the exiles. And what we're going to see is that the big idea of the book of Ezekiel is that out of darkness, out of humanity's sin, out of uh, evil, there emerges hope. And where we're going to see that Ezekiel itself points us to Jesus ultimately. You know, uh, scripture teaches us that you know, Jesus says, all of these scriptures, they're the, they're the ones that point to me. Uh, you remember at the, the woman at the well also where she's speaking with the Samaritan woman, speaking with Jesus, and she's explaining him, you know, the Messiah will come, and this is Jacob's well. And he says, hey, look, the one you were talking about, that is me. So scriptures point us to Jesus. And this new world that Ezekiel is pointing to uh, has a life-giving spirit. So it's also pointing us to the Holy Spirit as well, and giving us hope that in this injustice, there will one day be justice. So Ezekiel was written by, many say Ezekiel. It doesn't say in the book of Ezekiel who wrote Ezekiel. 
But many uh, in the Jewish tradition and in Christian tradition say that Ezekiel was the author of this book. Um, he is, as we said, the context, he is in Babylon. He's sitting on a river. And the uh, book of Ezekiel takes place over roughly 20 years uh, B.C. And this is 593 to 571. And we'll see a little bit about how it also points to, point, it's going to point us uh, also to the second wave of attacks from Babylon on Israel. And it's going to point us to these different visions that Ezekiel has. So the book of Ezekiel, it also has um, poems in it. It has uh, apocalyptic literature, like the end of times. It has, it points us also to um, what, uh, what God's people have done in Jerusalem since he has been gone. He has a messenger that comes in. As well, that we'll see that tells uh, you know this place of the temple that God did dwell, but is not dwelling in anymore, and what has happened to that. So it's a it's an exciting story if you are um, if you're one who is uh, wants to see you know how does God um, divinely and sovereignly uh, walk us through. His purposes, even using and allowing uh, destruction to happen, which it's clear in scriptures that this Babylon, you know, this Babylonian uh, attack was not uh, a random act. This was something that uh, God sovereignly uh, allowed to happen. And so Ezekiel, uh, that's the that's a scroll. It's supposed to be a scroll at least. <laughs> In the uh, Hebrew canon, let me go to the next one. In the Hebrew canon, uh, Ezekiel is one of the latter prophets, uh, just like Isaiah was one of the latter prophets. And in the uh, Protestant canon, he is one of the major prophets. As we learned last week, the difference in a major prophet and a minor prophet is basically the size of the book. You know, major prophets have a, have a lot more... Uh, literature in them. And so Ezekiel, there at one time there was debate among uh, Jewish leaders if Ezekiel should be included in the canon because of some of the ways that the laws are structured. And some of the laws, they don't coincide with the Mosaic law, the law from Moses. And, and, and uh, you know, if you look in Leviticus, the different ways to do different ceremonies, they're, they're not... Um, they're not exactly parallel. So there was just some discussion about that. But it is, in fact, in the canon. So these rituals and prescriptions for how to, how to do ceremonies, uh, that is not a problem. Okay, the structure of, I, of Ezekiel. The structure of Ezekiel, there's, we're going to look at it in six different sections. Uh, there's chapter 1 through 11 where we'll see Ezekiel's uh, vision, we'll see 12 through 24, uh, judgment, Israel's judgment, 25 through 33, an outline of the nation's judgment and Jerusalem's destruction, uh, 34 to 37, we'll see the hope after the exile, 38 to 39 shows how God defeats the evil nations, and there's a, a very unique metaphor, it, we'll see as he's fighting Gog, this being called Gog, which represents evil nations. And in 38 through 39, it shows, I mean, excuse me, 40 through 48, 
is the new creation where Ezekiel is pointing uh, to a final time where, uh, and some would say, well, we'll look into that. There's a, there are two views of what he's pointing to. One more of that Jesus, when he comes, he is bringing in this new life, which he does. But it, some would say, no, this is pointing more towards the final when, um, when Jesus returns a second time. But we'll touch base on that in a second. Okay, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful picture there, isn't it? A few, a few animals together, and that's how, that's how Ezekiel starts. He's sitting, uh, there's these different sides, this vision. He's sitting on the edge of the water, uh, this canal, and God gives him a vision. So we're looking at chapters 1 through 11. There's this commissioning, and there's also this sign of how God has uh, departed from the temple. And so as, G, as Ezekiel is sitting there, he gets this vision, he gets these signs of these four-winged creatures, and all four-winged creatures have four different uh, faces on them, and that's why you see four different faces. There's one in the back with horns as well, and there is uh, this appearance of the, it's supposed to be, there's this appearance of the glory of God, and so this is supposed to represent the glory of God. And so Ezekiel's question in seeing this is, well, the, this is the glory of God. Why is the glory of God here, and why is it not back in Jerusalem? And so for Ezekiel, this is a disturbing scene because, you know, in, in Jerusalem, God's glory was in the temple. So why is God's glory here? Why is he seeing God's presence here? Why is it not, um, what is God's glory doing in another nation? You know, an evil nation in Babylon. And uh, during this vision, uh, Ezekiel is also, it's confirmed that Israel, again, as we saw in Isaiah, is breaking God's covenant commands. So God has made a covenant with his people. He did it through Abraham. He did it through the law. Um, He's made these covenants with his people, and they continue to break them by going to other gods and going to other nations for help. And that's when God allows. So this is... This has some, um, this is not completely separate from what Isaiah is pointing to. It also uh, is uh, connected with that, that God's people have broken the covenant. And what it helps us to do is see that God's serious about what he says. Um, you know, Paul, the, the Apostle Paul tells us, you know, um, does grace abound so that we can sin? And he says, no, of course it doesn't. Um, you know, that we're, we're called to follow God. We're called to follow his laws. We're not following as a way to God. That's through Jesus now, but we are following it because he is God. And so we have these signs, these acts that are, are happening. And there are these um, interesting and kind of weird things that Ezekiel starts doing. And it's, um, it's a form of theater that was uh, back during Ezekiel's time where he is um, portraying through acting different, um, these visions. So he's communicating through acting these different um, visions. It's not pantomime, <laughs> but it is that he's doing these strange, bizarre ways. So he, one thing that he does is he... Uh, he enacts the coming of Babylon, the Babylonian attack, one, through shaving his head. So he shaves his head 
uh, it chops off all his hair, chopped it up with a sword. He um, plays in this really weird thing, plays the role of a scapegoat. And so he lays on his side for a whole year and he eats food. And this is, this is gross, but he eats food that's been cooked over dung for a year. And it's to represent um, Israel's fall. It's to represent what um, Israel's feeding off of false gods and going to false uh, idols uh, in the temple. And so Ezekiel's making a point that no one, uh, and the sad thing is that God's saying, look, no one is listening to his message, to God's message. And it's, uh, it brings silence and it brings to Ezekiel you know, wondering what, what hope do we have if no one's listening to uh, the message. So after about a year, he has another vision, and it is a vision of what is going on in the temple. And what was going on in the temple is they were worshiping other gods. The temple is no longer the place where uh, God is dwelling in Jerusalem at this time, but it is where they have large um, idol statues. And so this helps us to understand why uh, that God has left the temple and that God is not present in the temple anymore because this is happening. This is allowed to happening, happen. But what it also teaches us is that God pursues his people. So God has gone to a foreign land and he has pursued Ezekiel. He's pursued, he's pursued his people. He's given Ezekiel a vision and said, I've not left you, I've not forsaken you, I am coming to you and showing you a vision. And this begins a little bit of hope, why God has come to appear, and he tells Ezekiel that he's going to you know, eventually remove their heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And you know that, that their hearts will not be hard towards God anymore. And of course, he's pointing to Jesus. And this gives us a, um, just a, a, a picture that um, is going to help us understand that God is, do, God is pointing Ezekiel to something new that he will do. So he continues on, uh, verses 12 through 24. <coughs> the book of Ezekiel, it focuses on uh, ju- God's judgment uh, coming towards Ezekiel. This is just, a, a, I like icons. This is a beautiful icon of Ezekiel. And... He begins these poems, and he's showing. He's using allegory and images again, and he calls um, Israel like a burnt pile of sticks. I don't know what the uh, you know. God seems to use the burning image, like he did in Isaiah with the stump and and a seed coming out of it. This burning image, but this is a burnt pile of sticks, and 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 he says, you know, even if people like Noah or uh, Moses or you know Abraham, even if they came and said to you, look, um, repent, turn away from God, you would not listen. And so there's this uh, impact for us to see is that uh, their hearts are really hard and that there has to be some other intervention uh, other than just giving people the law and the covenants and say, well, you need to obey those. But they need something from outside of themselves to come and do this. 
And the interesting thing is, uh, going back to this slide, is that God would not accept their prayers. God would not accept their prayers. Um, and so I guess that they were begging God for mercy. And, and in his plan, he did not accept their prayers at that time. So next is Ezekiel's judgment on the nations and the destruction of Jerusalem. This is the second time when we say destruction of Jerusalem. This is the second wave of attacks from Babylon onto Jerusalem. And um, we're going to see that he focuses uh, around Israel in these uh, visions and is pointing that they have adopted uh, these different idols. And he's telling them why, why there is this judgment and that they, their idea of right and wrong is based on who they are worshiping. And I think that's true for us, right? Our, our vision of right and wrong is based on who we are worshiping. You know, it, um, I know for me that if I am, you know, if I only listen to, let's say, I watch the news over and over and over and over again on channel, whatever channel, then that's going to become my perception of reality. So the more and more that I'm um, resting on other things, uh, that is going to be my perception. Whatever we rest in is our perception of reality. You know, what we listen to is our perception of reality more and more. And so uh, it's not to say we don't watch the news or whatever. News is just a, an example. You could use anything, you know, the books we read or the things that um, the people that we uh, spend most of our deep time with. It, 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 uh, God, it impacts the way that we, um, that we live our lives. And so what's happening here is uh, God's people have been immersed in these other idols, and that's what they're living. They're living their lives um, according to their rules, not to God's rules. So they've moved more and more away from who God is and more and more to these other idols. And God is saying that... Um, look, you are, uh, you're broken and uh, you need to repent. And so this refugee from uh, at the very end of chapter 30 or in chapter 33, uh, some of this information comes from this refugee who kind of shows up in chapter 33 who tells Ezekiel all these things that are going on and that uh, the city has fallen. And so Ezekiel for a moment goes back you know, in his mind, to chapter 11, just remembering that there is going to be hope that God will uh, give new hearts. And so he continues, and there in 34 to 37 is a, is a coming hope after the exile. So this is chapters 34 to 48. Uh, this kind of explores the aftermath of the destruction of Jerusalem. And it helps answer the question, has God done with his people? Yet, I mean, has he just had enough? Uh, you know, how are his patients worn out? And he is finished with God's people. And in these chapters, we see a vision of hope where uh, this is going to come through the line of David, through King David, that there will be a new king. Now, I imagine if you're uh, reading this uh, back then, then you're just thinking a regular king. You might not be thinking of the Messiah, but what he's pointing to is King Jesus, that there will be a future messianic king. The Messiah will come, um, and this, there will be a new Israel that comes under the reign of this king. And that's us. 
you know, any of the nations, that there is a new Israel that's under the reign of the king. And so we, we, that's, we follow Jesus. And there's this image that you're probably familiar with, the valley of dry bones, this, um, you know, these empty bones that they just come to life and they begin to have skin again on them. And it's a picture of restoration. It's a picture of repentance. It's a picture of God restoring, um, you know, restoring dead life to deadness. And I like the image because it's like there's no, you know, bones don't get skin on them. But what he's saying is that he will give new hearts. So, you know, these things come alive. What, what helps us to stay alive are our heart. But he's not talking about physical hearts. He's talking about uh, a new heart, the Holy Spirit coming. And he will one day... Uh, do that, which he has done now. This is us. We are the ones that have this. Now, this is where some of the, um, this restoration, there's a few thoughts on it. One is that, yes, it is now, but it's also pointing to the end times where there will be a new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, which, you know, either way, I think it has legitimate legitimacy to it. Uh, so this, what happens here is it points us back to Genesis, to the garden. It points us back to uh, God having a, uh, a place that he has made for his people. Uh, even though, in, you know, it's almost like reversing the fall. Maybe you've heard that term. Is that, you know, right now God is, God is about reversing the fall. He's making all things new. And this is part of that. He's pointing back to Genesis and he's saying, I am going to make all things new. Now, um, this is... Uh, after, see, that was chapter 37. Now, after chapter 37, there's this uh, picture of this new creature comes in the story, Gog, Gog, G-O-G. And Gog represents um, all of the evil nations or, um, you know, those who don't follow God. And there is this picture in 38 and 39 that God promises to finally defeat them. And again, this is another one of those pictures. Does that mean uh, that he's defeated because those who follow Jesus, no matter what nation you are, um, are in the kingdom? But this name, Gog, is derived from these ancient kingdoms and these ancient powers uh, from long ago that just, they symbolize rebellion. They symbolize rebellious uh, nations, not simply uh, saying, oh, well, I, I don't believe that, but they openly um, adhere to other idols. They openly abstain from the one true God. And so God is saying, I am going to, um, God are those that resist God's plan. And so God's saying, I'm going to restore that. Now, what's interesting, as I was reading it, I was thinking, that's interesting that it says God strikes, let's see, how did he say it? This one commentator, I like the way he said it. He said, uh, the basic story here is that Gog resists God's plan to restore his people, just like Pharaoh did. And so God is in the business of restoration to restore his people. And he will, and has defeated ultimately on the cross, those that... Um, try to thwart that, 
toward God's people from being restored. I mean, we are, you know, uh, one definition of being saved, I heard someone say, say you know, what's the definition of being saved? Well, that God did save us, that he is saving us, and he will save us. He did uh, save us on the cross, all of our past, present, and future sins. Right now, as we live, he is growing us, he's sanctifying us, he's saving us from some of our decisions now, uh, and he ultimately will save us. And that's when uh, he returns a second time. Uh, and that's good news for us, that we, we have been saved, we're being saved, God is doing that now, and he will save us. And uh, so for us, uh, it, I think it's important to kind of have a daily or moment surrender. You know, when, when Stephen wants to go Stephen's way to say, God, you, I want to surrender that to you. I want to surrender that to you, you know, to have patience, to wait on what the Lord is doing because he is making all things known. So he defeats, and, and we can do this because he has ultimately defeated the devil on the cross, the enemy on the cross. And as Christians, we have God's favor. And so God is uh, using, God is paving the way for a new creation, uh, defi- finally defeating human evil. And here in the last um, in the last several chapters in 40 to 48 is a vision of a restored temple, a renewed creation. So at the beginning of these visions, uh, Ezekiel is wondering, is there any hope? You know, he has this uh, refugee come visit him uh, in, uh, I think, 33 and says, this is what has happened to the temple. And it's like, what, you know, is all lost? And then, uh, but he gets a vision of a new temple. And this new temple is uh, more beautiful than any of the other temples that he's ever seen. Um, And it also has this uh, little uh, waterway, this little canal, this small bit flowing away from it. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And soon it it covers uh, the whole city in this vision. And what that is uh, meant to point us to is that the coming of the Messiah, there is restoration. Because in the flow of this uh, river, things are turning green again. You know, things are becoming beautiful. It's almost like a story out of Narnia, you know, uh, that, he's, that God is making all things new, that he's making the, um, all of the um, you know, disapp- disappointments and, and all of those. He is making all things new and will ultimately make all things new. So I think we can look at it both in um, our time because we know Jesus, that he is making all things new right now, but he will also make uh, all things new ultimately when Jesus returns back. And this is the restoration of the temple and that it will be um, have God's presence and it points us again back to Genesis 1 and 2 and that out of the darkness, Israel and uh, even in humanity's evil, um, there will be hope. And that points us ultimately to Jesus, that our hope is in Jesus. You know, it's in, it's, uh, our hope for our past is in Jesus. Our hope for right now is in Jesus. Our hope for the future is resting in Jesus. You know, when it feels out of control, it's resting in Jesus. And that's the hope of the prophet Ezekiel. Now, there are a few themes 
Um, we see idolatry and covenant violation against God. That's no surprise here. And uh, judgment of the nations in Israel, where he gave him that vision of Israel being attacked a second time by Babylon. And the hope of a new David, the messianic, messianic king. And so messianic king, you can imagine then they were thinking probably of a really great king, someone who was really smart that could take care of things. But when he says messianic king, he, of course, is pointing to Jesus. And in the end, he will restore the temple and restore humanity. And, of course, the temple now is in here. It's not in a building anymore. It is the Holy Spirit. It is within us that he has restored the temple. What a surprise. I bet Ezekiel wasn't thinking about that whenever. Um, and so, um, you know, one, the gospel, the gospel in Ezekiel, we've said it a few times, is that it points to Jesus. And I, I, like, I love the image of the lamb because it reminds me of, um, it just reminds me of the rescue, you know, going after the, the one when the night... You know, going after the one where the 99 stay and the one and Jesus is willing to go after the one. I love that image because I think that's what Ezekiel points me to, points us to, is that God is sovereign and he does go after the one. And even as we watch the news and uh, I'm really excited about Roger's um, uh, teaching next week, kind of the one-off teaching about Israel and the theological, not the social implications, but the theological um, view of that from the Bible. I'm excited about that because, you know, as we, as we look at the news, as, as I look at the news, as you look at the news, uh, the, the gift that we have is that we can rest and we can trust uh, in Jesus. You know, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Doesn't mean don't pray. Doesn't mean don't, you know, be concerned. No, no, but it means resting everything that we have in Jesus. When we see it before us and that he uh, ultimately, um, Jesus ultimately is our rescuer. And it's from a, and it's from a, much, um, a much more uh, sneaky enemy than you know, what we might see on the news. It's sin. It's sin and it's in my heart and it's in your heart and Jesus has rescued that. Rescued us from that, from that rebellion. And so we, we go to him over and over again, and he is making us more and more like him and bringing life more and more uh, to us. Uh, and as we see God's people, uh, the rebellion, we see that God's serious about what he says, serious about his wrath, and that's why he had to send another person because we just were, we just could not pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We needed intervention from the outside, and that is Jesus. Questions? Did Roger say next week? Two weeks. Two weeks. I'm sorry, two weeks. I may have just said next week. You got, you got us excited. So All right. Two weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> two weeks, yeah. Yes? At the end, when he's talking about portioning out to the various tribes, and then the very last verse, it says the city shall... From that baby, the Lord is there. What city is that? Is that Jerusalem? Yeah, I, no, it's, I don't think it's <coughs> Jerusalem. I think it is, what he's pointing to is something that is spiritual. Now, eventually, um, you know, when Jesus returns, heaven will come down on earth. So some would say that he's pointing to that. And some would say that 
he's pointing to the kingdom, him being the kingdom. You know, the, the kingdom of God is here when Jesus arrives. So I think you can kind of see that in both of them. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were doing like the um, <laughs> Miss America thing or. What was Ezekiel's younger education process? I mean, what was, how was he educated? I don't know how he was educated. That's a good I mean, question. He is smart. You would imagine that, that he might have been um, just in the Jewish tradition of oral communication and passing things down and temple worship and uh, that's one of the things that all the ceremonies and the practices did is they educated God's people and it was very important to educate God's people and to pass it down through the line. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, I, well, he must have, well, I don't know if he was a Levite or not, but he must have been, he was supposed to be ordained a priest that year, so that seems like he would be, wouldn't it? All right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. We have to make that our official hand raise. Yeah. All right. Let me. Did, you didn't have a question? Did you no, have a, Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Got it. Got it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, time together and that we can see how you used your prophets to point to yourself. Uh, we pray, uh, we do pray, Lord, for Israel, and we pray for peace, and we ask, Lord, that you would uh, send your spirit, that you would use this uh, difficulty to change hearts and to uh, bring people to yourself. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, turn hearts of all towards yourself. We know that we cannot randomly make that happen, Lord, but you can, and so, and you can do it by your spirit. You know, you sent kings, you sent prophets, you sent the law, and we rebelled over and over again. So you sent a savior, a child, a baby, to come and bring reconciliation. Pray by your spirit you would bring reconciliation, Lord. Remind us in the morning and the evening to pray, to pray for peace. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would draw us and shape us more and more into the likeness of you, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.